0: this time we'll have Reg Nolan come with a sermonette. What is man that thou art mindful of him? No doubt people still wonder that. You, you can? Now everyone knows that we hold Bible study sessions on the second and fourth Tuesday of each month. But do you know that besides the great studies that we have in Scripture where when we study verse by verse through uh, the biblical context, this historical context, this prophetic context, its relevance to the church, to individuals, to social issues, those sessions often produce interesting tangential discussions on topical issues of social and political relevance. <clears throat> Although truly they do, more often than I, than I like, degenerate into pick-on-reg nights. <laughs> but I can dish back just as well as I've been served up. So, uh, a couple of months ago, we came to a collective observations that liberals really can't understand the mindset of the conservative, and those who are conservative find it even possible even to begin to understand the more liberal mindset. We, we agreed to disagree, <laughs> but to continue to love one another in Christian fellowship. Someone, I think it was Kent, Ken even uh, resurrected the old quotation attributed to Winston Churchill. I said, if one is not liberal at 20, he has no heart. If he is not conservative at 40, he has no head. Okay, that consensus got me thinking, always a dangerous prospect, you see, I am still liberal enough to understand that viewpoint, once much, much more so. Um, but having been associated with you guys now for over 30 years, I think I can understand the more conservative stance as well. I would like to share with you today the results of my meditations on that subject. And uh, I conclude that the heart of the difference, the question at the core is, what is the nature of the human being? What is the nature of the human being? Liberals, I surmise that the political liberals, not the flower children of the 1960s and 70s that I grew up with, uh, who have made it now become a generation of disillusioned idealists, but the political liberal leaders. These people do not really like humanity very much and certainly do not trust them. They have abandoned the live and not live philosophy of the brotherhood of man, and have adopted a, the view of the human being as someone that is inherently wicked, self-centered, self-serving, deceitful, ambitious, totally incapable of self-control and self-government. Therefore, it is the role of government to regulate humanity with laws made for the general welfare of, huma- of humankind and to safeguard our resources to protect mankind from himself for his own good and for the good of the global community. For the true liberal, cooperation is the byword. Each person is responsible not only for his individual growth and development, but also for the development and the advancement of all. So long as even one person or one group is failing to succeed, then we are all failing. That's an idea that's been popularized, of course, by Hillary's citation of the African proverb, it takes a village to raise a child. Every person has value inherently by virtue of just being a living being. However, that liberal ideal of all men working together altruistically for the betterment of humanity is totally unrealistic as long as we have an egocentric, self-serving human nature. Right-wing conservatives. Interestingly, right-wing conservatives also see human beings as egotistic, ambitious, greedy, self-centered, self-serving, self-aggrandizing, independent, autonomous, ready ready and willing to kill with guns if if the need arises. The difference is that the conservatives view these characteristics as virtues. (laughs) (laughs) They are the ultimate Darwinians, advocating a socioeconomic survival of the fittest with the marketplace as the filtering mechanism. For the true conservative Not cooperation, but competition is the byword. Each person is responsible for himself and his family only. If one doesn't work, he doesn't eat. One's value is a function of his productivity. Conservatives tend to be very discriminating or judgmental, demanding justice, that wrongs be made right by restitution or by removal of the the offender from the society, even by execution if necessary, if the culprit is unredeemable. There are winners and losers and onlookers in life. Individuals have to fight to get ahead. Success and victory belong to the strongest, the fastest, the smartest, the most ambitious, the most cl- cunning or clever, the bravest, those willing to work for it." Have I accurately described both points of view pretty well? Hmm? Yeah. Is this a fair characteristic? Characterization, well, neither one of these extreme positions is healthy. At the heart of the controversy is not really a political question at all, but one that is essentially spiritual. What is the nature of man? What is the nature of man? It is that question that I wish to address today. Is the human being merely the most advanced animal on the planet, as the atheists and the evolutionists would argue? Or is it a finite living being whose life is but a brief candle flickering in the winds of time and is snuffed out forever? Is it some immortal intangible spirit migrating through different bodies throughout time, gradually learning the lessons in each carna- incarnation, or something completely different? Okay. The materialist point of view. A strict materialist would argue that the human being is nothing more than a biological machine that we come into existence as a unique biological organism at conception, we grow, develop, respond to our environment in predictable, self-serving manner. We are a collective of biochemical processes with the illusion of self and mind and identity, but there is really no non-physical part separate from the body. We are merely the most advanced and evolved animal on the planet. And like the other animals, we die and cease to be when those biochemical processes stop. But unlike other animals, we're condemned with awareness of our impending demise, which often fills up our lives with anxiety. This is a very fatalistic and existential view of life. But as counterintuitive and uncomfortable as it may seem philosophically, it is very hard to argue against since these people Uh, reject any non-physical explanation of behavior. This is the view that David expressed uh, back in Psalms 146, 4. Psalms 146, 4. It says, His breath goes forth. He returns to the earth. In that very day, his thoughts perish. And it's also what Solomon expressed in the Ecclesiastics, in two different passages. First, in Ecclesiastics 3, Verses 18 to 21. I said in my heart concerning the matter of of the sons of men, that God might reveal them, and they might see that they themselves are beasts. For that which happens to the sons of men also happens to beasts. Even one thing happens to them. As this one dies, so that one dies. Yea, they all have one breath. So that a man has no advantage over a beast, for all is vanity. Okay. All go to one place. All are of the dust, and all return to dust again. Who knows that the spirit of man that goes upward or the spirit of the beast that goes downward? Later, in Ecclesiastic 9, verses 5 through 6, For the living know that they shall die, but the dead do not know anything, nor do they have any more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Also their love and their hatred and their envy is now perished, nor do they any longer have a part forever in all that is done under the sun. For the materialists, this life is the only reality, and it is finite. That view can make one either extremely depressed, asking, what's the point of life? We're never going to get out of it alive anyway. <laughs> or can make him adopt a very hedonistic carpe diem approach. They say, let's squeeze every ounce of pleasure out of the day, for tomorrow we die. One of those two philosophies, basically, are the result of the position that the materialists hold. Now, there's another group. These are the immortal soul advocates. In sharp contrast to the materialist view, the idea, there's an idea that we have an immortal soul. A piece of divine essence traveling through time and matter temporarily trapped in a body for the lessons that we can learn from the experience. What we perceive is, as reality is an illusion and that it only has value from what we can learn from it. Much of the Western world has adopted this mind-body dualism from Plato, as he espoused in the Phaedra, who got it from mysticism of ancient Babylon and ancient Egypt. In the Eastern world, it's expressed as Hinduism, and in some forms of Buddhism, like the Mahayana version. All right, this view uh, propagates Satan's first lie, that man shall not surely die, that's Genesis 3, 4, but is really an immortal soul incarnated into a physical body to learn the lessons of the life and then to die and to be born again into a new body to learn the lessons of that life. Where the assignment to the uh, new body depends upon karma, one's behavior in the previous life. If If the previous life was righteous, then one is incarnated into a higher caste of human life in the next life. If the previous life was not righteous, then one can be reincarnated into a lower caste of human life or even leave the human realm and be incarnated into animals, or even a 1928 Porter. If you understood that illusion, you're at least as old as I am. Okay, here's the catch. With each new birth, we consciously forget the previous lives and the lesson that, uh, so that each life seems like the first time. This transmigration of the soul continues until we have learned enough to escape the cycle of life, death, and rebirth and enter into Nirvana, which is really extinction of the individual self and reunification with the divine essence. Thus, the goal of the immortal soul, the goal of the immortal soul is its own extinction. Hmm. That's interesting. Western civilization modified this eastern system and made nirvana not into extinction but into paradise. Into the Elysian fields of the Greek or the beatific vision of the Catholic Church and of an eternal life with God riding around on clouds all day and stirring on harps. Indeed Satan's first and greatest lie of the immortal soul is ubiquitous and pervasive. It is everywhere present in some form in every culture on earth. Of course, we know it to be a lie because of what God's revelation in scripture has for us. Ezekiel 18, 4, and also in verse 20 as well, says, Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father also is the soul of the Son, they are mine. The soul that sins, it shall die. If it dies, it cannot be immortal. It's as simple as that by the definition of mortality. If it dies, it cannot be immortal. Likewise, Matthew 10, verses, uh, verse 28 says, Do not fear those who can kill the body but are unable to kill the soul. Again, if you can kill a soul, it cannot be immortal. But rather fear him who can destroy, destroy both body and soul, or soul and body in hell. I presented the, immortal, the arguments against immortal souls in previous messages, so I won't go back with that or repeat that again today, just to mention it here, in fact. But today's focus is on the nature of man. Each of these uh, viewpoints is partly right, partly wrong. We are indeed biological ma- machines, and our brains and sensory systems are not significantly different from other animals qualitatively. Yet the productivity of our minds is disproportionately greater than can be attributed to the differences in the structure. So there must be some component of the human mind that does not exist in animals. Job 32.8 Job identifies it as a spirit. There is a spirit in man and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. Notice The function of the spirit, apparently, is to receive the understanding from God. This human spirit is not a soul with a separate identity and volition, but is similar in kind to the Holy Spirit. It is essence. It is an essence, a power that emanates from the human being, just as the Holy Spirit is the essence of God and the power that emanates from the Father and the Word, but has no single separate identity or volition of its own. Because it is similar in kind, being spirit, to the Holy Spirit, then our human spirit can unite with the Holy Spirit to produce spirit children of God growing within us. Effectively, joining our human spirit with the Holy Spirit, God can put his mind into us and make us his children. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. Philippians 2. 5 through 11. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus Christ. Hmm. So the mind of God is within each of us. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal of God. Hmm. So, Jesus was not a created being. Jesus was not a separate being. Jesus existed for all time and in in incarnate in his in is uh, non corporeal form uh, as the word, the creative force of the universe, the logos, the power, the creative power. Equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man. Isn't that interesting? First, God made us in his image, and then Jesus took on our image. Hmm. Okay, and being found in a fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient, even in the death, even the death of the stake. Therefore, God has, uh, has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of the things in heaven and the things in earth and things under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In tr- I couldn't resist the extra passages there because those are so beautiful. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. In truth we are much more than any of these views for we have <coughs> would have us believe for we are the embryonic children of God conceive as children of spirit in the moment that we accept Jesus' sacrifice but not yet fully developed to maturity enough to be born. As long as we live, we are in the womb of development, a physical existence that allows us to develop godly character through the experiences of this life and the choices we make. For a godly nature cannot be created by fiat. The greatest thing you can create by fiat is Lucifer. Effectively. But it must be developed through the experience and choice. Our physical bodies are the cocoons in which develop the larval stage of the future God beings. In the near future, there will be a whole nation born at once. Isaiah 66.8 is that reference. However, while in this physical life, we can be miscarried by the contaminants of sin in our lives if they are not periodically purged with repentance and the redeeming blood of Christ. It is no accident that legalized abortion has become a hot topic over the past 50 plus years. Satan is trying to legitimize on the physical plane what he is trying to do on the spiritual plane, trying to abort the embryonic children of God before we can be born into the God family. We have an incredible human potential to become active children of God, helping him to run the universe, not merely his pets, pacified by the traditional view of heaven, propagated by this world's churchianity. It was enough to make David ponder my title of passage. Psalm 8, 3-8. through When I consider the heavens, the works of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man what is man, that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man, that thou visited him. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with honor, glory, and honor. Thou hast made him to have dominion over the works of thy hand, that have put all things under his feet. All sheep, and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatever passes through the paths of the sea. Now Paul extends the meditation a little bit uh, further in Hebrews 2, verses 5 through 10. He says, For he has not put into subjection to the angels the world to come, of which we speak, but one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man, that you are mindful of him, or the son of man, that you visit him? You have made him a little lower than angels, you crowned him with glory and honor, and have set him over the works of your hands. You subjected all things under his feet, but in subjecting all things to him, he did not leave anything not subjected to him. But now we do not yet see all things being subjected to him." Do you realize what that is saying? if he did not exclude anything, that means the entire universe, the entire cosmos, from one end to the other, is all under our, to be under our subjection, subjected to us. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, and that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for all. For it became him, For whom all things, and by whom all, all things, in bringing many sons to glory, not just a few elect few, but many sons to glory, to perfect the captain of their salvation through suffering. We are the children of God. Yes, we are the children of God, made after his kind, in his image, but of physical and mortal flesh, not yet in his substance, which is spirit. God is reproducing himself in us human beings. Genesis 1 verses 26 to 28. And God said, "Let us by the way that wor- that word God here is Elohim, which is a plural form of God, showing that both the father and the word were in existence from the beginning of time. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the heavens and over the cattle, over all the earth, over all the creeping creepers creeping on the earth. And God created man in his image, in the image of God created he him, and he created them male and female. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the heavens, and the animals that move upon the earth. Notice in that passage, God made us after his kind. And each kind reproduces after its kind. So we are God kind, just not fully developed yet. We are baby gods. And the creator, sustainer of the universe knows us each by name. Isn't that amazing? That the the guy, the, the, the being... That created the entire cosmos knows me by name individually. That just is staggering. As his children. What's more, he wants us to call him not just Father, but Dad. Dad. The word is Abba in, in the scripture, which is a more intimate form, form of Father. Let's t- first turn to John, uh, 1 John 3 1 to 2. Behold what manner of love. This is a song I ask him to, uh, use, to lead in on this one. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now are we children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he shall be revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Romans 8, Romans eight fourteen to 23. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit again. Two spirit beings mingling. That we are the children of God. And if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. So that if we suffer with him, we may also be glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory of the coming glory to be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creation was not willingly subjected to vanity, but because of him who subjected it on hope that the creation itself should also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. And not only so, but ourselves also who have the first fruits of the spirit even we ourselves grown within ourselves awaiting adoption the redemption of our body but there is a catch there is a problem to be fully born children of god we must be made we must be made of his substance as well as in his image and currently we are flesh and blood don't believe it take the hat pin test okay John 3, verses 5 through 6, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless a man is born of water and of spirit, by the way, that's two kinds of baptism, Uh, unless a man is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Fortunately, God has provided a way to overcome that problem. He has made our bodies into something akin to a cocoon in which grow this embryonic children of God, protected from the evil without. Look at 1 John 5, 18 and 19. We know that everyone who has been begotten of God does not continue to sin, but the one that was born of God guards him, and the evil does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and all the world lies in evil then, after we die or are transformed, if we're alive at Christ's return, what is resurrected is that spiritual being that has been growing inside this mortal body. Okay, 1 Corinthians 15, of course, is the resurrection chapter. Um, I intended to read it, but I'm a bit short on time, so I'm a, you know the resurrection chapter. You know its glory. I'd love to read it, but we're short on time, so I'm going we'll just move ahead. We have a destiny much greater than riding around on clouds and playing harps, infinitely greater than the extinction of the materialist or the transcendentalist. Indeed, we shall be the spirit-born children of God, given the entire universe to shape and to maintain. We have a huge work before us, that shall be unimaginably rewarding. But to get there requires a change of heart, to change from the competitive, self-aggrandizing, carnal, egocentric nature that we have now into a nature that is built upon love and obedience to the laws that were designed for our own good. We are not created inherently evil or inherently good, but truly neutral. However, the cards are stacked against us. I don't know if you're aware of that, but the cards are stacked against us. For ever since our conception, the prince of the powers of the air has been broadcasting a signal of disobedience, bombarding us with waves of influence, trying to imprint upon us by induction his nature. Human nature is not human nature. It's satanic nature. He's been trying to imprint upon us induction by of his nature a nature founded upon hate and exploitation of others for self-aggrandizement built upon competition hubris aggression ambition greed jealousy envy selfishness lust deceit treachery etc recognize that group that's the group i started with wasn't it only the protective insulating hand of god can shield us from his influence even then the battle is tough because our bodies are working against us. God is a procreative being reproducing himself in us which requires us to adopt the, uh, to develop godly character through our choices. However, Lucifer was an angel sterile by nature incapable of reproducing himself directly so he's attempting to kidnap the children of God and kidnap visions Victims usually end up dead by inducing upon us his nature, attempting to drive out the godly nature and replace it with a carnal one. What is often mistaken for uh, uh, or mislabeled as human nature is in reality the satanic nature, which we have b- been b- bombarded with since conception, and its characteristics are well known. There are some of the qualities. <laughs> All right, let's look at several of the different passages that relate to it. Jeremiah seventeen nine. The heart is deceitfully wicked ab- uh, above all things, and uh, deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Romans 8, verses 5 to 13. For they who are according to the flesh mind the things of the flesh, but they who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can can it be. So then, who are in the, so they who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you, who are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if the spirit of God dwells in you, if anyone has not sent, uh, has not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ is in you, indeed the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of the one who raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, the one who raised up Christ from the dead shall also make your mortal bodies alive by his Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brothers, we are not debtors to the flesh to live according to, to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you shall die. But... If you, through the Spirit, mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Mark seven, twenty to 23 And he said, That which comes out of the mouth of the man is what defiles the man. From within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, mur- murder, death, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things pass out, out from the inside and defile the man. This is the corruption that we're talking about. This is the nature that is Satan's nature induced upon us by the waves of the prince of the power of air. It's not easy to overcome our carnal nature. For Satan has been programming us all our lives. It permeates our society and our world. It is a world of darkness centered self-centered, and inherently, inherently in enmity against God. It is short-sighted and self-destructive. We know what we should be doing, but instead we do what will benefit us most initially for short-term gain and ignore the consequences of those choices in the long run. For example, it was that satanic nature that prompted us to exploit fossil fuels with little, if any, regard for the impact that such exploitation would have upon our world. Now, as a result, we are faced with global warming, s- radical changes in the weather, shifts in the weather from day to day, practically, severe greenhouse effect in the atmosphere, and an effect that was not unlike what was on Earth just after the angelic war, just before the recreation of the earth recorded in Genesis one and the creation of human being humankind. When God well, notice what God did. He parted the darkness, the atmosphere, cleaned up the chaos that was left from the war with this satanic rebellion, and let the light shine through the darkness so that the plant life could grow again. We have been the unwitting instruments of Satan's second attempt destroy the earth indeed our desire to look out for number one our greed our selfishness is in direct opposition to the law of love so it is no wonder that at times it seems as if there's a war within ourselves to what even the apostle Paul was not immune we've, heard, we've read this many times before Romans 7 verses 14 to 25 is the reference I'm not going to, to read it we know that one by heart Paul is com- complaining that he, what he wants to do, he can't do. And what he doesn't want to do, that's exactly what he does in that passage. We're not immune to that. We're not immune to that. So what is the nature of man? The natural man is indeed a biological machine. He's a, but it's endowed with a human spirit, which creates in him a mind capable of achieving great things for good, or unfortunately under Satan's influence, for evil. But in some of us, the call, the chosen, the elect, that natural man also serves as an incubator of the embryonic children of God. And when we are born in, of spirit into the family of God, we shall be the big brothers and big sisters of a countless multitude brought to glory, destined to explore and rule the universe and of necessity no longer limited by the laws of time and space. We have a great future, don't water it down.